Support for Need to Know comes from the Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security. Learn more at Carnegie.org. Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast, and the word of the day is recursive, characterized by recurrence or repetition. It's a think tank word of the day, and the reason why we are using it is because this will be a podcast about a podcast. Here on Need to Know today, I've got two very good friends, and I would consider both of them colleagues, even though one is not within the Wilson Center. But we have from the Canada Institute and a podcast guest before, Chris Sands. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Aaron. Glad to be here. And we have Scotty Greenwood, uh, who is from the Canadian American Business Council. Scotty, welcome. Thank you, Aaron. And you know what? There's a lot I need to know. So I'm really happy to be uh, to be a guest on this podcast. That is right. Well, so the purpose of this podcast was really when I when we started thinking about having a podcast within the Congressional Relations Office of the Wilson Center. If there's 20 minutes that you've get you've got to sit down with a congressional staffer, what do they need to know? Uh, and that really goes for so much of our of our expertise that we have at the Wilson Center is regional. And Chris came to me a little while back and said, hey, we would like some help on this podcast idea that we have. And it's been an honor to produce this thing that we call Canusa Street. So, uh, Scotty, I'm going to turn to you first, since you are Canadian American Business Council. There's been a lot going on with the Canada-U.S. relationship in just in the last year, but of course this relationship goes back centuries. Uh, so for you, what is having a podcast about this relationship really meant? What are you trying to convey to the folks who are listening to it? Uh, well, thanks, Aaron. There, you know, there is a lot about the Canada-U.S. relationship that I think uh, people don't appreciate necessarily. And so once you dig into it, which our podcast does, a different issue each each episode, um, you, you learn you, you learn something maybe you didn't know. So people people don't necessarily know that the Canada US relationship is the largest uh, from a commercial point of view, the largest economic relationship that the US has by a lot. It's seven hundred billion dollars a year in commerce. So that's that's more than the EU, it's more than China, it's more than um, any other any other trading relationship or commercial relationship. It's also uh, incredibly integrated, right? We live right next to each other, we date each other and marry each other. Sometimes we cheer for or against each other's teams. And so because we're right here on on this same uh, piece of earth, that we have this what I call common ground and an uncommon friendship. So the, the, the other thing I would say is it doesn't really matter what your portfolio is or what your interest is. There is a Canadian connection if you're the U.S. or otherwise. So if you care about environmental issues, uh, we care deeply about environmental issues and the, and the planet. You know, the the agreements between Canada and the United States, starting back with Columbia River Treaty, there are so many legacy agreements that the Canada and the United States pioneered uh, that are relevant. But we also, we co-manage and steward the same watershed 
um, the same air, obviously. So if you care about the environment, it's su it's super relevant. If you care about defense and security and cybersecurity, you've got this incredible relationship there. Um, if you care about global affairs, the US and Canada lock arms to try to help so solve problems around the world. So really, really pick your poison. Canada and the United States are, are awfully important to each other. And so Canusa Street, our podcast, uh, takes one issue, uh, each episode unpacks it. And I'll just tell you one other thing, Aaron, because I know you're dying to know, which is how did we come up with the name? Canusa Street. So there is a there is a town in Vermont, Derby Line. It's right across from Stansted, Quebec. And there's a street that goes, you know, right across the border. There is a library and an opera house, each of which are halfway on one side of the border. And the locals up there, including my brother-in-law, call that Canusa Street. So uh, so we came up with, we thought it was a perfect uh, description for a Canada US podcast. And there's also a Canusa Street, as it turns out, in New Brunswick. Um, so anyway, that that's how we, it's, it's kind of like Sesame Street, only uh, for policy wonks like Chris and me. Well, and this is why I started it off with a word of the day, right? Because it's Sesame Street for policy wonks. The other thing, Aaron, is Chris and I have known each other for approximately 100 years. And... Uh, you know, when I was living in Canada, he was living in the United States. Uh, he's from one political party. I'm from from another political party, although neither of our organizations is partisan, so we won't out each other. But we've been working on Canada-U.S. issues separately. He as a renowned scholar, me as, you know, a lowly civil servant at first and then a, and then a practitioner. But you know, we've been thinking about and working on Canada-U.S. issues for, I mean, the better part of our adult professional careers. And so for me, it's it's a blast to have an opportunity to officially uh, collaborate with Chris, but also with you and the team at Wilson. You're an amazing podcast producer, Aaron, and I'm really excited to uh, to learn from you. Uh, I've been on a guest on some podcasts, but I haven't hosted one and uh, appreciate you sort of showing us the way. Well, it's been fun producing it for sure, and you're a natural, Scotty. So you do you do pretty well at the host at the host duties, um, Chris. Yeah, you say that after the twentieth take on the twentieth episode to get to to get to one episode, but I appreciate it. Well, I am a Beatles fan, and I'm also an audio production nut. So I look at you know the Beatles and their recording sessions, and they worked on a song in 1968 called "Not Guilty," did over a hundred takes, and is George Harrison's song and they didn't even release it. Uh, they just, you know, kept working on it take after take. So I do feel like uh, a few takes, if we're doing 20 takes on something, then we're doing pretty good. Um, Chris Sands, you know, we, we talk about Canada issues, but sometimes with the Canada U S relationship, there's a uh, pretty much everything is, is okay. Usually to the, to the, the casual observer. Um, nothing's really wrong with our relationship with Canada. A lot of focus is a lot of times put on the southern border and not the northern border. But here during the pandemic, we've seen some issues really come to a head. Um, you know, not only with a border closure that has been the longest that we've we have in memory, and uh, we also see lumber prices which, you know, softwood lumber's always been an issue with Canada, but now with lumber prices skyrocketing, suddenly people care. So talk to us a little bit about some of these issues that we are covering and look to cover on the podcast. 
Of course. And, um, and Aaron, I want to second uh, what Scotty said. You've been invaluable in pulling this together. For me, this podcast is is, is almost a form of therapy because y you end up going into the Canada-U.S. issues in detail, uh, whether you're doing research or you're working on uh, trying to help people understand what the meaning of bit of legislation is, uh, or an institution that most people have never heard of that suddenly becomes important, like the St. Lawrence Seaway Commission or the International Joint Commission or the Gordie Howe International Bridge uh, that they're building between Detroit and Windsor. And you know so much. You have all of this detail in your head, and really, nobody has more than a couple of minutes before you've bored them to death with the details. And the great thing about Scotty is we can just sort of delve into the details, hopefully pull the best ones out. And I, I feel like it gets me out of my head. It's uh, it's wonderful to have somebody to talk to. Um, I have an uncle who once said that uh, being a Canada expert must be like being the Maytag repairman of international relations. And I, I feel that a lot, that you're the lonely person who is nobody who really gets what you're thinking about. But that's a problem across the government because there was a time uh, 50 years ago when you would see um, the Defense Department and the State Department manage everything. And what's happened is we've gotten closer economically, thanks to Canada's free trade, NAFTA, and now the USMCA, is that domestic policy departments are working every day in the U.S. government with their Canadian counterpart. And uh, in terms of Congress, there are congressional committees that are looking at issues every day that require some coordination with the Canadians or or maybe even knowledge of what's going on on the other side of the border, not even in the grand foreign affairs, House International Affairs Committee but level, but just at the level of what are we going to do to prop up our dairy industry? And why do we have the dairy struggles with the Canadians that we do? How do we address some of the problems that you mentioned on, on softwood lumber and home building and the cost of affordable housing? And these are the kinds of issues that uh, can't be unpacked until you get the Canadian side of the story. And I love that we're starting to tell those stories and connect people who may be on the far flung reaches of a state government or a federal government, but they need to know this kind of material. And it's just great to be able to have that conversation. Um, you know, Aaron, you said everything is sort of okay. And I think our podcast in part is the kids are not all right. <laughs> you know, there's a lot in this relationship um, that is that is challenging. Um, you know, Chris mentioned the agencies of the U.S. government that deal with the, the Canada relationship. But there's uh, today, as we record this, the agency that is most relevant is the Department of Homeland Security. And it's relevant not only for security, but it's relevant for health uh, because it's about whether or not people and goods can travel back and forth. And it's relevant for our economy. Um, and so when you, you know, this, this is a phenomenon that occurred post 9-11. Um, Canadians and the rest of the world viewed those events of 9-11 really differently than Americans did. As sympathetic and empathetic and supportive as Canada is of the United States, it was a fundamentally different experience. And it, and it changed the relationship uh, that we've enjoyed for generations a lot in 2001. And it changed again over the last few years, but in particular this last year during during the pandemic. But I will just I will just flag one thing that might be interesting, Aaron, uh, that we're going to talk about, and that's uh, we're going to talk about cannabis. Uh, because there is an issue of policy divergence in Canada and the United States, where Canada was the second country in the world after Uruguay to fully legalize adult use recreational cannabis after the medical program. Um, the U.S., as we know, uh, has different state policies. The feds kind of consider every once in a while removing the prohibition, but we're not there yet. And there, it's an example of how 
um, sort of two siblings in the same family took a really different path um, on an issue that a lot of people uh, have a lot to say about. And, you know, from, from my point of view, cannabis is all about treating PTSD and treating childhood epilepsy. And do we have the medical research uh, in place to do that? For other people, to, for Snoop Dogg, you know, it's a different thing entirely. So uh, so that's one of the, I'll just, I'll just tease that a little bit, Erin, because I'm looking forward to working with you uh, and some experts and talk about the differences uh, between the road that Canada has gone down um, and the road that the U.S., which is much more windy and twisty and rocky, uh, seems to be going down. Yeah, it's a long, strange trip when it comes to cannabis. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the what we've done so far. We've had some excellent guests on this little Canadian podcast that we're doing. And uh, we've, we've had Richard Madden from... From CTV News. You got to do your TV voice because he is a serious TV guy when you talk about Richard Madden. So we have we have Richard Madden from CTV News uh, yeah. and we had we've had Senator Trent Lott, yeah. uh, Mike DeJong, who is a, a, a British Columbian politician and, and former minister out there. We also well, we also had Devin Weber, who is maybe not a famous name, but but somebody in the Canada U.S. world who's really making a difference at that kind of civic engagement citizen level. She uh, is somebody who is a, an American married to a Canadian, or it might be the other way around, but in any case, their family has been um, really devastated by the border closure, and she started this movement called Let Us Reunite, and it's super topical right now with the border close. So she, she was one of our guests, and we'll also be talking to some members of Congress about this border closure and about the Canada-U.S. relationship. Yeah, the border closure is interesting for anybody listening who maybe covers the northern border or border issues. It, 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 and it's something that I had slipped under my radar uh, until we did this podcast. But the air border is not closed, but the land border is. So if you are a family that is separated by the border, even if it's just going down the hill five minutes to cross the border and visit your family... You are expected to drive to an airport, go through security, get on an airplane, pay that ticket fare, have your boarding pass, fly to the airport on the other side of the border, and, you know, be picked up or rent a car to go see your family. It's a little strained, it seems, Chris. It is, and it it ignores the fact that for a lot of Americans, they live close to a Canadian community and they've made decisions on buying a fire truck or an extra fire truck uh, or building an extra medical facility or building an extra school around the idea that they can lean on the resources of the community on the other side of the border. And so when you put a, a barrier in between that flow, now there are people who've opened up shops to serve Canadians who come down every year for festivals or for restaurants, etc. I, I know in Detroit, Windsor, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of restaurants, uh, the famous Windsor Casino and some of the Detroit casinos that really rely on the traffic and the tourists who come from the other side of the border as part of their business model. And none of that's considered essential. Um, and essential is the is the buzzword of the day because the government's decided in keeping with a 2012 North American pandemic plan that was pulled together as part of the old North American Security and Prosperity Partnership, talked about a blast from the past, in 2012, the government's agreed we, we have to continue to have commercial relations even in a pandemic. 
The problem is that they focus so much on manufacturing supply chains and even food supply chains and medical equipment supply chains, all good, but they forgot that it's the people-to-people contact that keeps businesses open and keeps bars going and and keeps uh, summer camps. We've just come through the second summer in which kids whose families for generations said they got to go across the border uh, for a summer camp in Canada or in New England couldn't do it this year, second year in a row. And those are the kind of day-to-day transactions that build the warp and the woof of the Canada-US relationship. I, I sometimes say, and I don't mean this in any way to be cheesy, but I think what we have is a friendship between the Canadian American people that is managed by government. The government's a steward of that friendship. It's not the creator of it, and it shouldn't be the barrier to it. We need to have that contact. That's why we're so close. Um, And hopefully we'll get this border addressed in a way that gets people reunited, as Devin would say. Chris, you know what? I love how you say warp and woof, and then you say, I don't want to be cheesy. (laughs) Fantastic. you, you know, the funny thing, uh, the funny thing is, or not the funny thing, the uh, about this border closure is, you know, when the pandemic, when 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 everybody sort of realized that, that this is a global p- pandemic, how serious it is, the public health risk that 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 lives were at risk, the decision to close the border, but keep it open for essential commerce, uh, what was defined as essential, we all said was a really good one. Chris, you and I praised it at the time, and, and it was true. The The government of the United States and Canada did the right thing, I think, and they did it well. Um, the The question now, though, is once we're into as far into this as we are, where people are vaccinated, where, you know, we do have the the Delta variant and other variants, but we have figured out a lot of things about how to be safe and how to resume life. Now it's time for the governments to uh, keep up with uh, the times because we have you're right, Chris, our you know, our we've designed our economy, public policy and and everybody's lives are designed in Canada and the United States to be um, to be mutually interdependent. And so to suddenly and kind of artificially say, okay, never mind, you can't go back and forth across, you can't send your goods back and forth across unless it's groceries or unless it's on a commercial truck. Like it's very difficult to unwind all of that economic integration. And by the way, I don't think you'd want to, right? Because it's been so beneficial. This, this Canada-US relationship is uh, has benefited both of our countries. And I would add Mexico to that too. You know, once the NAFTA really uh, was an exercise in bringing Mexico into what was already a very successful uh, agreement between Canada and the United States. And as Chris says, the, the, the new agreement, the USMCA, updated that. But, you know, there have been hiccups along the way. There are challenges. USMCA has done a good job at addressing some of them. Um, as modern, as you would expect, modern trade agreements to address labor concerns and environmental concerns and all of that. But largely, the whole relationship has been so beneficial to Americans and to Canadians that we're in this odd period of suspended animation where we're expected to act like we're not dependent on each other and we don't need to go back and forth. And it's like, well, hang on, we've for generations we've intermarried, so now you can't see your in-laws? A lot of people would see that as a negative, that they can't see their in-laws. If my in-laws were on the other side of the border, I'd be devastated because I love going to see them. Some people, maybe it's a positive, but not for me. (laughs) The other thing that's interesting about this, Aaron, is we're very good at making decisions in an emergency together. Like we, we, We can do that, but then 
after that initial decision, we're really bad at having the conversation about where to go next. So the executives in both countries, the prime minister and the president can say, we've got a pandemic, let's restrict the border. But then when you have to unwind that, you know, there's no regular functioning relationship between, say, the Congress and the Canadian Parliament or between states and provinces. And one of the things we all rely on is data. Well, when you're talking about public health data, uh, it's a challenge. A lot of that public health data is local. In Canada, the, it, it's the federal government that pays for health care, but it's the provinces that implement. And so when we're trying to figure out what's the health data that decides what the risk factor is to whether we should open the border, that's where we break down. It's um, to take a, a sort of hopefully not insulting example, wasn't that long ago where we had a couple of um, infected cows in Alberta who had bovine spongiform encephalitis, famous BSE, uh, sometimes called mad cow disease. We were great at putting a stop to beef trade when we thought, saw that risk, but it took more than a year to lift those restrictions um, and let the trade continue. So I think we're, we're very good at the get-go, but what, are, what we don't have is a consultative mechanisms that connect decision makers and the data systems that support making decisions together that we really need to have. And it's it's part of how the relationships outgrown those original structures that we set up. We still do some things well, but as we've seen with the border, we've got to get back to normal. And that's proving harder than stopping the, the, the border traffic it was in the first instance. Well, we will be having some border episodes upcoming on Canusa Street. We're uh, talking to Devin Weber, as we mentioned. We've also got some members of Congress lined up to talk about how this works. And, of course, this is something that Chris and I have worked on on the Hill a little bit uh, with the Northern Border Caucus. Uh, and obviously, Scotty with the Canadian American Business Council is doing a lot of work on this. So. I'm a producer of this podcast, but you do not get to hear me. You get to hear Chris and Scotty's mellifluous voices. They are the hosts of the Canusa Street podcast. I just am in the background. One thing that I am proud of is that uh, that nice, funky Motown music that we have as our introduction. So let's take a listen to that. You know, you know what, Aaron, I love that you're such a musical guy, and, and now that we know that uh, what a Beatles fan you are, I think we need to do a future podcast where Chris and I put the entire Canada-U.S. relationship in the parlance of Beatles songs. So, you know, we, we like to work on Canusa Street eight days a week. Mm, yes, and Canada gets all your love, and I get it. That's right, <laughs> and you know, uh, she loves you, and, uh, and I want to hold your hand. You know, if, if we're going to go that far. All right. Well, let's let's let it be for a second here while we wrap up here on the Need to Know podcast. We want everyone you can see. We've got banter. We've got music. We've got taste. We've got nonpartisan foreign policy information. This is really what you need to know. And so that's why I wanted to bring Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands onto the Need to Know podcast to talk about Canusa Street. So everyone needs to check it out. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It's on SoundCloud. So check it out where you get your podcasts and have a listen. Learn something about Canada. And, you know, it's not going to be, you know, your boring think tank conversation. It really is uh, something fun 
that you really you can learn something. Add to your add to your capital, your intellectual capital here on Canada. Yes, and you're always welcome on our street. Thanks so much, Aaron. Really appreciate it. We're we looked forward to welcoming people on Canusa Street, and we're we're happy to be on Need to Know. And maybe if in the next decade or so we come up with some other great idea, you'll have us back. 